Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here with you today. I said to the eight o'clock service, I like coming to Mackenzie. I realise my head's going to be on a big screen, so it's like it's my biannual grooming session. It's becoming easier these days. It's just like a one all over, like beard, hair, nose, ears, eyebrows. That's what happens when I'm discovering all the things about getting old. It's really quite rude, I think, that God allows us to lose all the hair of our head and have it come out ears and nose and eyebrows and... Anyway, that's got nothing to do with what I'm saying today, but I realize when I'm here how shiny my head is as well. Like, it's just, there's no oil on that. That's just natural glow. So, anyway, for those I've never met before, my name is Andrew May, and I'm the pastor of our Gateway Ormo congregation, and it's good to be with you here in Mackenzie today. Uh, This was home for me for a very long time before we uh, took off down the freeway, and Jason's down with the Ormo crew this morning, so uh, pray for him more than pray for them. Pray for him as he uh, preaches and teaches down there today. And it's the first time I've spoken here since we've been a more than two congregation church, like Gateway, now one family existing in three locations, and are soon to be four, so such an exciting season of church life and exciting for us at Ormo to be able to see that uh, continued church planting and multi-campus vision expand and come to fruit right across our city. So why don't you pause with me and we're just going to pray this morning before we jump into the message. God, it's just good to be here. It's good to be with each other. It's good to be with family. It's good to be uh, with others that sharpen us and encourage us and that we get to share life with. And Father, as we open your word today, I want to pray, God, that you would give us open eyes to see what it is that you're doing, that you give us open ears to hear what it is that you're saying to us. God, to hear your words of encouragement, to hear your words of challenge. But more than anything, God, give us the courage to walk away from this place with the the courage to be obedient to whatever it is you're asking of us today. God, your word has the power to transform. May it transform us today, God. Our heart, our mind, our attitudes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Continuing our Legends of the Faith series, let's jump back into Hebrews 11. That's been a little bit of the structure for this series. And just to remind you of what it says about faith. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. We're going to jump forward to verse 7 today. And it says this, by faith Noah when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. We're going to look at this well-known, quite famous, well-talked about, well-documented story from the Scriptures, one of the very first stories in the Scriptures way back in the early chapters of Genesis, the story of Noah this morning. But before we get to that, I'd like to take you on a little global tour around some incredible things that people have built in their backyards. And we're going to start in a little suburb of Paris, I think. It's a suburb of Paris. Apologise to all the French-speaking people now, but uh, we're going to a place called Versac. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, but it's somewhere in France, right? If you go there, you'll find a guy by the name of Gerard Brion. And uh, none of you have ever, everyone's groaning. I've obviously said that really badly. Okay, can someone come and tell me how to... Versailles. 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 
Versailles, Versailles, close. Versailles in France. And you find Gerard Briand, who over the last 20 years, his labor of love has been building a uh, replica model of the Parisian capital in his backyard. Collecting cardboard, used cans and jars, he has built this model of France with the Eiffel Tower and all of the other glorious architectural structures. And uh, Gerard, over 20 years, has done that and now people come to visit him to see of his time and his investment in this incredible model that he has built in his backyard. If we go from Versailles all the way to Colorado in the United States, you can uh, find a man there by the name of Jim Bishop in the early 1970s. Jim Bishop left school with the words of a teacher ringing in his ears saying that he will never amount to anything. Left school, spent $450 buying a block of land in Colorado, went to start building a uh, shack or a house on the property. As part of that, he was building, I think it was a water tank, and he was surrounding it with rocks and building it up. And his friends and family came to visit the construction site. Numerous people commented to Jim Bishop that it was looking like a castle. Was he building a castle? Well, apparently Jim Bishop heard this enough that he decided that he was going to dedicate the next 40 years of his life to building a castle. So collecting scrap metal, and iron and rocks, he has built what's now known as Bishop's Castle that you can visit in Colorado. When people go there, there's a fire-breathing dragon on the very top pinnacle of the castle. I don't know whether it would pass any workplace health and safety checks. I'm sure they've done it all. But you can go and see this 40-year labor of love, single-handedly built by Jim Bishop. Apparently in the first eight years, numerous people offered to help and he accepted their offer and then they didn't turn up. So after eight years, he thought, if I'm going to build something, I'm going to do it myself. And uh, they say, it's a, I read on one report, one, yeah, and you don't know what to believe on the internet, but they're like, it's a really fascinating place to visit. Just don't get the guy into politics or social issues, or you might want to block the ears of your kids. But uh, go visit Bishop's Castle in Colorado. From Colorado, we can head to Indiana and Bruceville, and this is my favorite one. This is going to make some of you grandparents look really poor and dodgy. There's a grandparent there by the name of John Ivers who decided for the sake of his grandchildren, even though he had no skills or engineering degree in this particular field, that he was going to build a roller coaster in his backyard. He had an A-frame shed. He decided that would be a good launching ramp for the roller coaster. So he started to work it out, build it, got an old car seat, strapped it to a pulley system. And away we go. There's, this is John. This is his roller coaster. It's known as the Blue Flash complete with loop. I don't want you to miss this moment. Enjoy. Yeah. (laughs) Some of you have failed at grandparenting. That's all I can say. You can go there to Bruceville in Indiana. John didn't do it to attract people, but now there's people all across, across the world, roller coaster enthusiasts that have the blue flash on their bucket list. They want to go and ride it and tick it off the bucket list as one of the well-known roller coasters that you can find. Now, I don't know any of these three guys, and I'm going to make some assumptions that could be completely wrong, but if you invest the kind of time, energy, money, and and complete investment of your life into building a castle or building a life-size model of the city that you live near or building a roller coaster for your grandkids, you're incredibly creative, incredibly dedicated, possibly a little bit eccentric, But these guys have become known across the world because of the thing they built. None of them gets anywhere near what Noah did. If we go back to Noah's time, to Noah's day, 
and we get a sense of what Noah built. None of these guys get anywhere near the scale of the project that Noah took on. Let me read you the story as it's told to us in the book of Genesis chapter 6. It said, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Let me pause there for a minute because I don't know about you, but I read those things and I go, I don't know what a cubit is. Is this a little replica or is this huge? This was a massive boat. It was a boat that was 135 metres long. Didn't even fit within the goalpost at Suncorp Stadium. That's how long this boat was. 23 metres wide, 14 metres high. That's the boat that God asked Noah to build. This is a big boat. God continues, Noah, make a roof for it. Leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around, put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground. They will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Now, there's a lot about this story we could talk about. There's a lot of big questions that come out of this story. There's a lot of things that we wrestle with in the story of Noah. And we could focus on many, many angles today. But the thing I want to ask, the question I want to ask and the thing I want to talk about is what God's calling us to build. See, Noah asked, was asked to build an ark and a jolly big one at that. And this was crazy. God said, build this huge boat, fill it with animals, fill it with food. And when people ask you what you're doing, Noah, just tell them that God told you to do it. Now, I've never had anyone walk into my office and say, God told me to build a boat. But I'm a little bit cynical. And so if one of you walks into my office this week and said, I had a vision from the Lord this week, I'm going to dedicate the next 30 years of my life to building an ark, 135 meters long, 23 meters wide, 40 meters high, I would probably respond by, hey, we've got a great counseling and wholeness center. We should go there together. Because there's something cynical in me. But that was the story Noah told. I say that for you to get an idea of how others must have heard that story. This would be like me jumping up on stage today saying we've been praying at Gateway Ormo and we just believe that God has told us as a church we had a champion a bid for the 2026 Winter Olympic Games right here in southeast Queensland. We're on this together. You're in with me. Who's, who's in with me? And we've got a vision. The Lord has told us. Moguls on Mount Cravat. How cool would that be? Downhill at Mount Cutha, the lakes here at Gateway are going to be used for the uh, figure skating. And uh, the, you know, the eels that are in there are going to be looking through the frozen ice, wondering what's happened in Brisbane. There's going to be luge on the banks of the Brisbane River, ice hockey down in the cane fields of Norwell. And everyone's like, well, that's a great idea, but we don't have snow in Brisbane. No, it's all right. God told me the snow would come. Just start building a ski resort. We're going to get together next week, first working, but we're going to start clearing some land. We're going to put a ski lift up Mount Cravat together. Who's in? It's, it's a crazy illustration, but it's just like what God told Noah. It was crazy on every level, the thing that he was called to build. But listen to what the last verse says, verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. 
Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You know, sometimes God asks us to build things in life that may not make sense at the time, may not make sense to us, definitely won't make sense to the people around us or the culture that we're a part of. I've got to imagine for Noah, in the initial stages of that building project, it made no sense to him why God had asked him to do what he was doing. But there was something that was in Noah that, that God calls all of us to. You see, faith, as I read all these stories of faith, it always starts when someone hears the voice of God and is obedient to the call of God. When God speaks and people are obedient, it's in that space that faith builds and faith is displayed. And God spoke and Noah was obedient. And even though the thing he was called to build was crazy, Noah did it because he trusted the one who asked it of him. You know, no one I've ever known has been asked yet to build an ark like the one Noah built. Some of you have told your wives that you've been, you know, asked to build a fishing boat for the weekends, but this is a different story altogether. No one I know has ever been told to build an ark. But there are things that God calls all of us to build that may not make sense to those around us. What Noah did made no sense in his time in history and to the people around him. And we don't exactly know where Noah was where he lived. We don't get an exact location, but we assume it's somewhere around the Middle East and every photo I've seen of the Middle East suggests dry, arid landscape, plenty of desert. It's not naturally the place you would envision by building a 135 metre long boat. Even if Noah was living by the water, no amount of horses and camels and people pushing are ever gonna float that thing on any body of water. Wherever Noah was, it was crazy. It made no sense in the moment, but here's the thing. If God calls you to build something, if God speaks clearly and invites you to build something, one day he's the one that's going to make sense of it. And the boat only made sense when the water came. But when Noah was building the boat, no one could understand it. I even guess if Noah was anything like me, Noah probably had significant seasons of not understanding why God had asked him to do what he was asked to do. And this morning, I just want to talk to a couple of things that I believe God calls all of us to do, Call, calls us to build into our lives that may not make sense in the moment, may not make sense to those around us. But when God calls us to do it, one day it will make sense. And these three things I want to talk about apply to all of us. doesn't matter what our story is, our circumstance, uh, what kind of relationship we're in, they apply to all of us. But I do this morning want to speak in some spaces very specifically to parents. Yeah, those of us that right now, God's calling you to build things into your family that are going to have an effect on the generations to come. You see, the story of Noah, God asked Noah to do something, but it had a salvation effect on his family. Noah built an ark. You're going to enter the ark with your wife, and your sons are going to enter the ark with their wives. See, Noah, the thing I'm asking you to build isn't just good news for you, it's good news for your family. And sometimes the thing that God asks us to build isn't just for our benefit, it's for the benefit of the generations and the times to come. And so everything I want to speak to this morning is for all of us, but let me also in a couple of moments speak very specifically the parents. So what are three things that I believe God calls us to build that may not always be easy or make sense in the moment? The first is this, we're called to build godly priorities called to build godly priorities. The uh, youth, uh, Fuller Youth Institute a couple of years ago uh, took on a study. They were observing churches across the United States and uh, really across many parts of the world that were seeing 
young people come through youth group and, and other kind of Christian spaces in their church. And in that transitionary moment between youth and young adult life, they saw an incredible drop-off of young people that were falling away from their faith, falling out of the church. And this triggered concern and has for many years triggered concern in churches everywhere. And so the Fuller Youth Institute commissioned a study into that and they had a sample of, I think, 500 young people that they tracked with for a number of years as they transitioned out of high school into their young adult years, out of school into university or the workplace. And they found through doing that there were some consistencies in those who continued to follow on with their faith. Now, these things are never hard and fast, but they found four consistent principles that seem to be common in many, many of the young people who had their faith stick. They've written a book out of it if you want to read it. Um, All the youth guys that I've spoken to here recommend it highly. It's called Sticky Faith. It talks about their findings. But they found four common threads in their research. And the first two were this. They found that one of the things that helps make faith stick for young people is healthy intergenerational relationships. The second thing they found was families recognising that they are the key influence on the spiritual development and life of their children and therefore churches and other organisations really finding ways to partner with the family as the primary place where faith is displayed and grown in kids. Now we know that's not always perfect but they're just saying this is what we found in our research. These are the best ways to look at it. So in other words, what did they find? They found that your family, those of us here with kids, that your family, your kids, need to be in spaces where they're engaging in good Christian intergenerational relationships. In other words, they need to be part of a faith community where they're rubbing shoulders with others that are displaying Christ to them and speaking hope and life and the truth of who God is into their life. Intergenerational relationships and faith community really matters. The second thing is that they discovered that it's detrimental for you as a parent to rely on the outsourcing of faith development in your kids. And I get this because it's really hard work being a parent. But what they're finding is, parents, you are the primary catalyst for faith development in your kids. The church works alongside you. The Christian school you might have chosen to send your kids to isn't an outsourcing of that, it walks alongside you. The youth group on Friday nights, is there as a resource to walk alongside you. In other words, it's not the youth group's fault and it's not the church's fault. Actually, it's something that God's calling you to take the first and most important part in the lives of your kids. Some of us today, the takeaway is really simple. We need to walk out of here with a new resolve to take the role. If we're here and faith and following Jesus and making Jesus the all in all in our life really matters and we want that for our kids and for our family, the greatest takeaway from us today might be that we need to start owning our place and our role in that. You know, if I'm the key factor in my kids' faith and add to that the fact that my kids are going to look more at my actions and my words, you'll speak louder through your actions and your words. If you tell them one thing and display something else, they're going to listen more to what you do than what you say. So if I'm the key factor in my kids' faith development and they're going to watch my actions, how then do, through my life do I model godly priorities? To do that, we've got to decide the things in life that matter the most and then live them out. Sounds really simple, it's really hard to do. Decide the things that matter the most and then live them out and persist with them. I want to share a really personal example of this in my own life and I'm very careful how I do this because I don't, 
I know a whole bunch of us are wrestling with this and many of us have landed in different places, but this has been very real and pertinent for us. And so please hear that as a personal wrestle for me and my family. I have four sons, five kids. My four eldest are boys. And they're all sports mad. And uh, I'm sports mad. I'm just not very sporting, if you understand the link. But my kids are sports mad. They all play AFL. They're all doing reasonably well at different varying degrees at AFL. And they play their local Ormo club on the weekend. And we'd sign them up again this year. And they're all ready to go. And you wait for the scheduling to come out. You're just not sure when it's going to be, but you look at patterns of previous years and you get an idea of when you're going to be at footy. Anyway, my, my 10-year-old, who's doing really well at AFL, like he's achieving quite well at AFL on a bunch of levels, and um, don't let my other kids listen to that podcast. I don't want them feeling like dad's got a favourite, but just between you and me, all 700 of you that are likely to go tell my kids this one day, he's the higher of the achievers in the AFL ranks. Anyway, we signed him up to play with his friends that he'd played with. And uh, we get the schedule a couple of weeks ago. And every game this season is either 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Now, here's the thing for us. We have one service at Gateway Ormo. It's 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. That's the place God's called us as a family to be. That's the church God's called us to be part of. It's a place where our kids are having others speak into their life. It's a place where there's a growing youth group that's connecting them in community. And it's the only place in our church in Ormo, that we can worship together as a family. So now we've got a problem. Because my kids love sport, and I love them loving sport. But we've now got a priority question. You know, it's really hard to sit down with your 10-year-old and explain it. He understood it. He knew it was coming. Sit down and go, look, mate, you can't play with your club this year, and, and here's the reason. They don't always understand the logic of that, but we had to get creative as a family. He's still playing AFL. He's just playing in a different league. It's an absolute nightmare on Saturdays because it, yesterday we had one kid playing in Morningside, one kid playing in Ormo, one kid playing in Carrara, and uh, Chrissy serving on our op shop team. And I'm here by the grace of God this morning. Here we are. We had to get creative, but we had to get creative because we've made a decision that being part of a worshipping faith community together as a family is a primary priority for us for all the reasons I've spoken about. And that was a hard decision. But, you know, we don't have an option of saying, okay, you know what, if that's the case, let's, let's together, let's go to a 6 p.m. service. There's a great 6 p.m. service here where that's a great place where families can do that as well. That, that was the one option. And so we had a clash of priorities that we couldn't avoid and we had to make a decision of what mattered most for us. You know, there's plenty of places where your kids can grow and learn of Jesus and be part of a worshipping community. Find somewhere you can do it together. You know, maybe there is for you an unavoidable clash at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Find some other options and find them quickly and commit to them. You know, I have a, let me relate to some of the parents here. There's, there's a known thing that will happen in my house every Monday morning at 7.30 a.m., I've got four kids at school. I've got a range four boys, 15, down to seven, and then I've got a daughter that's two. But every Monday morning, this common thread occurs in my house. Somewhere between nine o'clock on Sunday night and 7.30 on Monday morning, one of my four boys gets a sniffle. Like they just wake up and they're like, oh, I'm tired, and I've got a sniffle. 
right? And it's usually followed by, oh, when my throat's sore and I've got an itch on my foot and my stomach's doing funny things, right? They can't call me on this anymore. It's like, you've got to sniffle. Get out of your bed, get into your clothes, get some breakfast, pack your bag. You can't do all the things you did on the weekend and then expect that you wake up on Monday morning and think that you're getting a day off school because you've got a sniffle. Now get out of bed now. That's the tone of voice I give at 7.30. The tone of voice you get at 8 o'clock, I'd embarrass myself here, so I'm just going to hold that to myself. But that's the 7.30 one. Sniffles don't count. Usually followed by, when you're working, you'll get 10 days leave a year and you don't take days off for a sniffle. So the kids go to school. Occasionally the school rings up and goes, your kid's been sick everywhere, can you come and get him? And you're like, I read that one wrong. But 99% of the time... It's just a foil to get a day off, right? And you know it because if you've ever relented and given the kid a day off by 9.15, it's amazing how bright and breezy they are. And can I play the PlayStation? Dad, is it all right if I go for a walk with the dog? I'm like, you weren't sick and you won this one. You will not win next time. I don't care that you've got a sniffle. Get out of bed and go to school. Sunday rolls around. Dad, what are we doing today? I've got a sniffle. <laughs> We're having the day off. But church is like, oh, I'm just, I've got a sniffle. And a whole bunch of you hate me right now. That's... Here's the thing, though. I get why we do that. Because we crave some downtime, don't we? We crave some downtime. My kids wake up on Monday and they've all got sniffles because my kids get very active on the weekend and they're craving some downtime. We get to our weekends and we crave some downtime because if your life's anything like mine, you're running crazy and you just crave some downtime. But our kids are going to watch the things that we prioritize. They're going to look at our actions and they're going to decide whether the things that we say are important are the things in our life that are important. So here's a rebuke. If you get a sniffle on a Sunday morning, get up, get over it, get out the door and get to church. And then if you're sick all over the place, okay, we got that one wrong, you can go home and rest. I think you get my point. Your kids are going to judge your actions more than your words, and we've got to display for them what, it's, what it is to have godly priorities. Secondly, I want to say this. Build godly priorities. Number two, build faithful persistence. God's calling us to build faithful persistence and perseverance. Again, the story doesn't give us all the details that we'd like, the story of Noah, but there's a few other things that we can safely assume are true. The first of them is this. Noah didn't build the ark overnight. Noah lived in a day where there were no nail guns, scissor lifts, uh, great truck transport systems to bring all the timber to him. This would have been a hard, laborious labor of love that probably took decades. To build a boat like that, the way that God asked him to build it, in the area of the world that Noah was, would have probably taken decades. Put alongside that, when you start building a boat that big, decades of work where everybody that walks by has a comment on what you're doing. Now, not everybody would have been encouraging to Noah. He would have been the crazy guy. He would have been the guy that everybody talked about. He would have, if there were news services and YouTube, he would have been all over them. There weren't, but everyone would have known of Noah, the crazy guy building the boat that's never going to float. But Noah builds the boat day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, Decade after decade, we imagine. With all the ridicule he would have copped, all the criticism he would have copped, all the people telling him how crazy he was, 
All the time he's saying, God just called me to do it. I'm just doing what God called me to do. You know, we like to think that God asks us to do something and it comes easy. Guarantee when God asked Noah to build a boat, it didn't come easy. There was a lot of pain. There would have been a lot of tears. There was a lot of ridicule. But you know what? Most of the things that God calls us to of importance and value only ever grow and develop over time. We are this week just past, and if you were here last Sunday, you would have seen some pictures, but we opened the doors on our brand new Gateway Ormo Care Centre, which is an extension of the great ministries that have been operating here at Mackenzie for a bunch of years, the Counseling and Wholeness Centre. We're offering sessions out of Ormo now. We've got an op shop that's uh, taking great donations that are coming here and um, just a great front door for our community in Ormo. It's been a great celebration for our Ormo campus to see that develop over the last couple of months and finally open the door and see some community walking in that. But all of us that have been involved in that know the last few months have been fairly taxing in terms of the build-up. But we also know that the story of Gateway Care and how it's grown at Gateway started many, many, many years ago. If you walk out the back doors of this building today, just through the back of the auditorium and turn right on your way to Next Step Sunday, those first two rooms on your left was where Gateway Care was first housed. We had a freezer where some great faithful people in this church would cook meals and put them in there for people in need. Big chest freezer. There was a little change room in the cupboard. There were a few hanging racks of clothes and that was it. That's where it started. That's what Gateway Care looked like. And uh, we have the privilege now of having Sue Sharp as part of our church, who uh, way back was part of the team that um, initiated that and started that and grew that and built it. But there were some hard yards, and some of you here know what those hard yards look like because you were part of the team that was faithful to the call God placed on you and just saw something start in a small beginning and grow to the point where now we have our first multi-campus expression of Gateway Care Ministries, Op Shop, and counselling centre in Ormo. That wasn't an easy journey, but usually the things that God calls us to that count aren't easy journeys. You know, we live in a culture that's so tuned to consumerism. In other words, I, as the consumer, am king. In other words, if something stops suiting me, if you stop providing something for me that isn't up to scratch or isn't up to my liking... There's so many other options available that I'll just go sideways and find someone that suddenly starts to deal with all my needs appropriately again. That's the kind of culture that we live in. We live in a consumer-driven culture. We live in a culture because it's so consumer-driven where loyalty and persistence are often seen as crazy when compared to convenience and ease. But as I read the scriptures, the things that God called people to usually went hand in hand with the call to be loyal and persistent than God handing us stuff and saying it's convenient and easy. We're called to faithful perseverance. Again, parents, you need to model persistence for your kids. God calls you to serve in a ministry. Don't give up just because it gets hard. If you're involved in a, a, a church or another faith community group and some relationships start to get a little bit rocky, work it out. Talk it through. Don't just pack up your stuff and move because it's easier to be somewhere else. You know, if God calls you to something, don't walk away too early. Think about it for Noah. Noah's only championed in the scriptures as a hero of the faith because he completed the ark. Noah didn't get praised because he got halfway through the ark project. Because if Noah got halfway through the ark project, when the water came, the boat didn't float. Noah had to complete the thing that God called him to so that when the waters came, God could use it 
to do the thing that God had intended. If we give up too early, we leave a relic in the desert that's useless. When God might need us just to persist and walk through the valleys and walk through the fire and walk through the challenges and walk through the ridicule and walk through the disappointments and walk through the questions that we have even in our own spirit because if he's called it to us, when he gets to the other end and we complete what it is that he's called us to, he will make sense of it. The boat was only made sense of when the water came and then the ridicule disappeared The questions disappeared and it all made sense. Don't leave a relic in the desert. Noah's faith was championed and celebrated because he completed the thing that God called him to. Noah's action had a salvation effect on his family. His persistence had a saving effect for his whole family. The last thing I want to say is this. We're called to build godly priorities. We're called to build faithful perseverance. And number three, we're called to build an atmosphere of grace. And the final two things the Fuller Youth Study found about our sticky faith was this. One was allowing in the lives of our young people room for doubt. We can't get caught in the place of not allowing our young people, our kids, to question stuff. Because all of us that follow Jesus for any length of time I'm sure we've all questioned some pretty significant things and our kids need to learn that it's okay to question stuff and have doubt and not be shot down for that, but be allowed to wrestle through it. They found that as a really critical thing. And the, the final one was this, that the kids were exposed to the whole gospel. Now, what do we mean by that? As I said, I've got five kids. At the moment, I've got a 15-year-old uh, right in the middle of teenage years and I've got a two-year-old. So I've got the teenage years and I've got the nappies. That's my life. They're the bookends of my family right now. The way I treat my two-year-old and the way I treat my 15-year-old are very different. You know, I'm learning every day, so I'll probably work something else out tomorrow. But right now, my two-year-old needs some very, very clearly defined boundaries. She needs me as her parent to help her understand the consequence of right and wrong, good and bad, you know, if, if I walk with her down the street, it's like you've got to hold my hand. You've got to walk on this path. Do not step on the grass. Do not go left. Do not go right. This is how it looks. My 15-year-old is completely different. I'm trying. I don't get this right all the time. And all the parents here with teenagers say amen. But I'm trying to not just give the black and white, but actually to help him make the decisions for himself and face the consequences of them. I don't do that very well all the time. But we know as our kids grow, as we grow, you know, it's not all just about black and white. But sometimes as we're raising our kids, we help them discover God as just this rule keeper, this black and white rule keeper. And so what this study found was there were kids that finished school and finished youth group, and the only picture they'd ever had of God was of God being mostly interested in behavioral compliance. In other words, God's got a whole set of rules for you to follow. If you follow them, he's happy. If you break them, he's unhappy. And so kids have grown up believing that God was just about behavioural compliance. And so they get out of home, they get out of school, and they get into college, and they make their first young adult mistake, first of many, I imagine. And they just think, man, I've messed it up. God obviously doesn't like me now. What's the point? Throw the whole thing in. His study found that if kids are exposed to the whole gospel, and the whole gospel is a story of grace. You see, God has got some rules in place for our lives. But it's never about him wanting to 
ensure that we follow them so he can either welcome us or reject us. God puts some stuff in place because he knows us best and knows the things that we can do to flourish best. And so I know for my daughter right now, the things that'll help her flourish. And so I've got some very black and white rules in place for her to help her flourish. It's the same with God with us. He puts some stuff in place because he knows how we've been created. He knows the things that help us flourish. But, but the story of the gospel isn't about behavioural compliance. It's about grace. It's about a God that despite the fact that all of us at some point are going to have some things in our story where we stepped outside of God's purposes and outside of the boundaries that God would have for us, that despite any of that and all of that, he still wants to take our hand and lead us into a glorious future with him. A forgiven, redeemed whole future. See, the story of Noah is a story of grace. The Bible tells us that God looked at his good creation. He knew that everything he'd put in place was good. And then he saw sin come into the picture. And as he observed it, it grieved his heart. People were jealous of each other. People were ripping each other off. People were speaking down on each other. People were bullying each other. People were killing each other. People weren't faithful to relationships. There was all this mess going on. God, it grieved God's heart. And it grieves God's heart so deeply because he knows what it can be like. And the story says, you know, God just so is it, is it even worth going on? Like, there's so much mess. Is it even worth going on? But then he sees this guy, Noah. Now, Noah's not a perfect person, but God sees something in Noah. And the grace of God says, it is worth going on. Noah, let's move into a brand new future. I'm going to give you a way out of the mess. I'm going to help, build a, help you build a boat that's going to sail you right out of the mess and into a future with me. See, that's the story of Noah. It's the story of God becomes the story of Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes and says, I want to give you a way out of your mess because I see your mess and it grieves my heart because I know what it could be like for you. I know how you flourish best. But here's the thing. Grace doesn't hold us captive to our past. It recognizes it, it deals with us, but it moves us gloriously into God's future for us. Not through anything you've done, not through any measures of compliance that you've put in place, because that's just what God's like. And that's what he wants for you. So in our lives, let's be people of grace. In our families, with our kids, let's build an atmosphere of grace. Let's help them see that that's the nature of God. Put some great boundaries in place and help people understand the reason they're there is that you know, we flourish best when we live within the guidelines that God has for us. But when we step outside of the guidelines, God doesn't exit the picture. That's the very reason God entered the picture in the person of Jesus and allowed himself to be nailed to a rugged Roman cross because of his love and his grace for you. What's God calling you to build? What is God calling you to build in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your ministry? What is He calling you to build that may not make sense to the world around you, that may not even make sense to you right now? But Noah, in this story, was the crazy guy that built a boat somewhere near the desert who became the hero of the story because when the rain came, he was the guy with the boat. If God's asking you to build something, one day he'll make sense of it. And parents, those of us 
that feel the challenge of our kids. We may not understand in the mundaneness right now what God might want to do into the future, but one day it might all make sense. You know, I champion my wife for a moment. We, I leave home most Sunday mornings before half my family's out of bed because Sunday's obviously as a pastor of this church is a big day for us. And so I leave and leave Chrissy at home with five kids to get out the door to church. And uh, that's not always easy because sniffles come on Sunday morning too, trust me. But she persists and she gets the kids out the door and she gets them to church. And we were talking about it the other day and she said to me, you know, in the last, because of Sarah's age, she's two, in the last two years, Christy said, I've heard two messages. Like where I've been able to hear the whole thing, just sit and hear the whole thing. And here's the rub. And she's like, and they were yours. Well, imagine that. Oh, two days to hear the word of God. And it's you. She's down there today with Jason. She's probably laughing it in just like, oh, the glory is coming to Ormo today. It's just that, that, that other guy, get him out of here more often. But here's, like for, for two years, my wife has had the capacity to uninterrupted listen to two messages. Man, that is a tiring, dry, stretching season of life. But she keeps rocking up every week with the five kids. Because it's not at the moment about her, it's about them. And her time will come. I'll make sure we get some other great preachers in so she can hear from some others. But you know, it's not easy right now. But it's the thing that God's called us as a family to build. And so it may not always make sense, but He's calling us to build it. He's calling us to prioritise it. He's calling us to persevere in the midst of it. Because we believe that this is the best that we can do with what God's given us. What's God calling you to build? I'm going to invite the rest of the band to come and join me on stage. I want to land very, very simply this morning, and it's this. I just want to pray for some people. God's put a prayer in my heart, especially for those of us here today that do have kids that are still in our care and being nurtured at home, that God would actually give us the energy, that God would give us the resolve, that God would give us the resilience to prioritise and to persevere in the midst of whatever it is we're facing right now. And so if you'd like me to just pray a prayer over you for those things, pray for your family, if it's not a family situation, if it's a, just a personal faith thing that God's called you and right now you're in a storm and you just, you know, He's calling you to persevere, but it's hard work, I want to pray for you as well. But if you'd like me just to pray that prayer over you this morning, maybe you need to grab the hand of your kid or your spouse or whoever you're here with in your family and stand so I can pray it over your family. Can I ask just right now that you would stand where you are? I'm not going to ask you to move out the front, I just want you to stand where you are in the pew so I can pray for you that you might be championed as a hero of the faith because you were persistent in building the thing right now that God called you to build that made no sense. That one day you'll see the fruit of. One day the boat will float when the rain comes. Cool. Let's pray together, church. Father God, I want to thank you for every person here that's responded this morning. Man, for those that are parents, Lord, I speak from current personal experience that it can be really hard work. But Father, I want to pray right now that you would give them the resilience and the resolve they need to keep pressing forward even when it feels futile, even when it feels too hard. 
God, they would make the hard choices for the sake of their family and for the sake of the faith future of their family. Noah built an ark and his family was saved. God, some of these people are being asked to build things into their family life right now that are gonna have generational impacts on their children. Give them the faith to do it. God, let them hear your clear voice speaking into them right now, I pray. God, for others of us that right now are building things that God's called us to build and we just can't see the end of it. We can't see the light at the end of it. God, would you just help us persist? Would you help us always return to that voice of yours that called us there in the first place and to know that you are always faithful to your promises. If you call us to do something, Jesus, you one day will make sense of it. Give us the resilience we need, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Why don't we all stand on our feet this morning? We're going to sing of the reckless love of God. We've spoken about the grace of God, the grace and the love of God that just covers and changes everything for us. Let's sing. Let's lift our voices, lift our hearts and sing of that great love this morning. actually speaks the words of grace. I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. Yet, Jesus, you give yourself away. As we close this morning, I want to give you an opportunity if you have never taken the step of putting your faith in Jesus as your Saviour and receiving His gift of grace for you. A grace that says there's nothing in your past that will keep you away from me. There's nothing you've done that will stop me loving you. The story of Jesus is that He came into our mess, gave His life so that we could know forgiveness from our past. We could know His grace for our future and we could know His hope for all eternity. If you've never taken a step of putting your faith in Jesus, making Him the centre of your world, making Him the Lord of your life, you don't have to behave in the right way to comply, to make God love you. He's got to ask. The Bible just says if if we call out to Him, if we invite Him, if we make Him Lord of our life, He'll forgive us our sins. He'll cleanse us from the mess that we've made and He'll lead us into an everlasting, eternal relationship with Him. It's good news. That's the story of grace. If you've never taken that step, we've got our pastoral team, some of our pastoral teams, our prayer team at the front right now. We're going to get them just a step forward. It's always hard to make a move, but 
These guys would love just to greet you as you walk to the front, just to pray with you, to lead you through uh, what will be the most significant decision you ever make, to put your faith in Jesus. And as we sing this, I want to encourage you, Noah was called to build a boat. That was a big step of faith. The step of faith I'm inviting some of you, mate, this morning is to step out of your seats where you are, come down and greet one of these guys and let them just welcome you and invite you into a relationship with Jesus. Be the best day of your life. Come and discover the grace of God for you right now. Let's sing, church. You move if you need to move. Don't you wait for any more invitations. You just move right now. Come and pray with these guys. Let them introduce you to Jesus. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.